one of the bad things is that people view blockchain equals crypto and blockchain does not equal crypto. Blockchain is the technology which enables crypto to be created. And so it is one use case for blockchain. There are so many other uses of blockchain. One of the stories I used to read my daughters was Alice in Wonderland. And there's a quote in there where Alice says, I have to run twice as fast to stay in place and 10 times as fast to get anywhere. And I feel like that's where we are right now, right? Everything's moving so fast and so quick. I don't know if we're gonna catch up. We've never seen this before. There isn't a playbook, like I can't go online and look up, okay, here's a playbook for what I can do. We're creating the playbooks as we go. Hello, I'm Somi Ariane. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. Today's guest, Sandy Carter, brings a wealth of experience from her leadership roles in major tech firms like AWS, IBM, and Unstoppable Domains. Sandy's approach to collaboration, her drive to deliver customer value, and her belief in the power of team dynamics have led to significant advancements in AI applications wherever she's worked. Most importantly, Sandy has just written a book called The Tiger and the Rabbit, harnessing the power of the metaverse, Web3, and AI for business success. This is a conversation you don't want to miss. Sandy, so good to have you here. It's been so long. I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about your new book. There's so many things that you've been doing for the past um, year or so. I think it's been about a year since we have caught up. What a year, right? So it's been what a year. Yeah, what a year. So what we've got year. from <laughs> we've we've tripled in the crypto market. Things are looking more positive, but at the same time, it's still quite early. There's a lot happening in the AI space. Why don't you give me a quick overview of what your 2023 was like? and what you've been working on, because I know that you've been working on a book. How long did it take you to write it? And uh, tell me, give me a quick overview of Unstoppable Domains, what's happening over there. Um, just like uh, bring me up to speed with everything. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. And it's great to see you again. You're always on top of everything and on that cutting edge. So I love, I love chatting with you. So let's talk first about Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains is a digital identity platform, which means that we give you a digital identity, like you have a government-issued ID or a paper identity. We give you a digital identity. Um, that digital identity keeps inside of it, you know, your education, your causes, your wallets. It basically represents you online, except it is verifiable and credential. So if you think about LinkedIn, um, we were just chatting with LinkedIn. When you go and look up someone's education on LinkedIn, it's not verified. And in fact, 36% of people list a school that they actually didn't go to. 36%. Wow, that's you know, quite when you're looking at a When you're looking at a digital identity for Unstoppable, the, the material is credentialed. It's verified. It lives on chain. It's soul bound, meaning that it can't be transferred out. And so you can be confident that what you see there is real and is true. So I think that's really, um, I think that's really important. So, so that's on the, uh, that's on the unstoppable domain side of things. Um, mm -hmm. I want to get to your book, but let's talk a little bit more about this um, digital identity. Um, so practically, how does that work? Because for example, if I go to unstoppable domains and I buy 
a num I can buy so many different types of um, uh, domains. I remember there was one that you helped me get. Gosh, I can't remember what it was, but it was like it had my name in it. Um, yeah, I think it was Somi.x. Yeah. Yeah, maybe like yeah, I think I think it was Somi.x. So so I would have Somi.x and then I'd have Somi. something else, right? So all these different ones that you have. Do these um domains talk to each other? And and is domain the right word for this? Um, I mean, I've, I've always wondered whether maybe domain is not the right term for these digital identity things because it doesn't behave like a normal uh, web two domain so, so can you break down this concept of a web three domain or a web 2.5 domain for people yeah so on a web three domain it's all linked through the blockchain so everything lives and breathes in that set of technology but you know if you don't care about the technology What it does is it provides you security and something that can be verified for you. And that Web3 domain is typically personal. So you're right. It's different than a Web2 domain. Web2 domains are an identity for corporation, right? If you think about it, because if I go to Amazon.com, I'm looking at the identity of that corporation. Um, but a Web3 domain is the identity of a person. And so if you think about that, I think they just released that there are 7 billion people in the world. Um, the marketplace for a Web3 digital identity for people would be 7 billion people, which is a lot of opportunity. And that's part of our mission is to get a digital identity into the hands of every person. We believe it's a human right that everybody owns their own data. And But I think then, that that's Sorry really to interrupt you one second. So... Uh, just uh, to back uh, back up a little bit here, one person could have many, many domains though. So like, you know, you mm -hmm. have something.eth, you have something else, something dot something. How, do, how do, do these connect with each other or do they need to connect? Why do we need so many? Because if you say 7 billion people have uh, could need 7 billion domains, but I know that I already have multiple Web3 domains. So why do we have multiple domains? What's the use of them? I haven't quite used any of mine. So um, other than I used to have Somi.eth that was connected to my main, I mean, I still have it, but my, connected to my main, um, uh, you know, Ethereum um, wallet. Uh, so so that was the, the main one that I was using. But yeah, can you can you explain why are we having multiple domains and what's the use cases? Mm -hmm. So for example, for Unstoppable, you could have Sandy.x, I could have Sandy.nft. It's really a preference for what I think I like as my ending, what we call TLD or that ending extension. Um, when you go to set it up and manage it, you can link them together or you can designate one to be your public profile and then others to be private. That's what I've done. So I have sandy.nft as my public domain. And then I have Sandy Carter. I have others that are for private transactions, maybe for things that are relate to my health, et cetera, that I don't want to expose publicly. And um, would we you also say see that, that extension being used as part of a community? So for example, sandy.polygon, I use that because I can message everybody who has a dot polygon. So now I have community that builds up around Sandy dot polygon. So I can use that for my tribe or for my community as well. Again, remember these are 
personal identity. So it's a little different, but, you know, think about, um, you know, if I'm a brand in web two and I'm a business and I'm looking for my corporate identity, I probably own amazon.com, amazon.io, amazon.edu, amazon.org. Now, you know, and I might use those in different ways. The same thing is true for here for personal domains too, right? You can use them for different things or just, you know, collect them to protect your personal brand as well. Mm, yeah, interesting. Um, would you say that in some ways these domains almost behave like a folder? Because as you were talking about, like you can you can use each of these um, to put different things in them. So in some ways, it's like your public folder or public or profile, um, you know, private folder where you can bring in different things to put in. So for example, mm -hmm. maybe one of them, you will link it to your, um, you know, educational credentials. One of them you will do, you will put your, like you say, tribes in it, right? So mm -hmm. is that a good analogy or is this just like something new under the sun? Yeah, I mean, um, if you think about it, we call it a super NFT. If so, if you're familiar with Web3, an NFT is a digital collectible. So your super NFT, and then inside of that, you can have other NFTs or other domains. So absolutely, it works like a folder or it works, you know, just like the ability to house things in categories that work for you as a person. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, how does your work in Unstoppable Domains connect with the new book that you've written? Do you want to tell everybody what your new book is about? Yeah. So let me see if I can show it. Yeah, this is it. It's called The Tiger and the Rabbit. It is a business fable. So Somi, what Wiley asked me to do is to write a fiction section of the book that describes a, I did a woman who is working at a company trying to sort through all of these new technologies that are going to change culture and leadership at her company and how she deals with that. And so the first half of the book really talks about what is Web3? What is a digital identity? What is artificial intelligence? Because all of these things are converging together. So for example, you know, you asked me what were some of the things that happened in 2023? Well, in 2023, we made the announcement that we are taking .com, uh, which is a digital identity for a corporation, and we are tokenizing it or placing it on the blockchain. And so that interoperability, that's kind of bringing together two technologies, that interoperability is a really powerful thrust, I think, as we move forward. And that's part of what the book is talking about, is that none of these technologies are in isolation. You know, you and I were chatting right ahead of time. We were like, you know, there was web three, there was cloud, then there was web three, and then there was AI. And now we're talking about quantum. It, it always changes. But in reality, these technologies converge and they interoperate together. And so that's really what the book is about. It's about how to work and use these technologies together, how to have them interoperate together, and how you as a business leader can have frameworks that help you to understand how to use them and to create the right culture and the right leadership to manage through them. So that's why it's called The Tiger and the Rabbit. Um, it argues for a rabbit team that you have that's always looking forward at emerging technology and emerging trends overall, not just technology. And it goes through a set of nine different frameworks that you can use to help your business through 
the current technologies, but more importantly, whatever else is coming behind it. I love it. So um, without giving away the uh, everything in the book, can you give us like a quick overview of what these frameworks are? Maybe just mm-hmm. at least a few of them. Yeah. So one is how you create a tiger team. Like what does a tiger team look like as opposed to a rabbit team? So, you know, all of us have been in corporations. I've been worked for IBM. I've seen Microsoft. I've worked for Amazon. And, you know, these tiger teams pop up and you go solve a problem and then you go back to your your real job, right? Well, what I found in researching with 400 companies is that companies who have a rabbit team, a team that goes really deep down the rabbit hole, a team that moves really fast, but that really stays together is the most effective type of team to look at all these emerging trends because then you have all the learnings of the past and you understand how these things can work together and interoperate or even converge together as well. So that's one framework is what does that team look like? What's the composition of the team? What's the goal of the team? What do they look like? How do they operate? Um, I give three different models of how you might organize something like that. Um, I was really excited, Sammy, because um, um, I was working with Pepsi and Pepsi read the book and they said, wow, this is so amazing that we're going to change the name of our current team, our current innovation team to the rabbit team, because we feel like this really embodies what the future should look like. Um, so that's one example. The other is um, I have a framework in there for selecting AI tools. Now, we know there's like 4,000 new startups happening every week in the Gen AI space right now. So how do you keep it sorted? How do you decide what tools to use? What is your, you know, what's your policy? Um, How do you make sure that your AI is responsible? And so I walk through the framework for that selection of tools, how you set up a responsible AI framework. How do you do enablement and training for your team? You know, um, I was just reading that 42% of people in corporations are using tools that are not blessed by their company, which means they're putting all this IP at risk. So basically the book walks you through that as well. So that's just a couple of examples of what you'd find uh, in the book itself. Super interesting. I mean, you touched upon AI. What do you see uh, in the coming months happening in in the realm of you know AI and blockchain coming together? Yeah, I mean, I really see AI catapulting blockchain to prominence. And, and here's why I believe that. Um, I don't know if you saw the Pope. He was in a puffer jacket. It was a Balamine jacket, right? A branded jacket, and he was wearing it and it went viral. And then it came back to say, that was actually a picture that was created by AI. It was fake. It wasn't real. Well, how did you know that it was fake versus real? Because AI is so good today. Well, one of the ways is that you can actually verify content, visual content, voice content, written content by using and tying it to blockchain, making it verifiable, making it trusted data. So imagine if on that picture that went around on Twitter, you had a little like almost like a verified blue check. The Pope says, this is my picture. Or, you know, the other day somebody called me and the voice sounded just like my daughter, but it wasn't my daughter. And I knew that because she was sitting in the other room, but they were trying to scam me. So what if I had some sort of verification on voice, on video, on text? And that's the power that blockchain can bring is that verifiable trust 
based on knowing that I actually approve this. So imagine, you know, if every newsroom had this, if famous people had it, celebrities, you know, you and I had it so we could verify our content. I think that this is really going to catapult AI to the next level because it's really needed. Um, I just keynoted at an AI conference and you're probably like an AI conference, you do digital identity. Well, because you can use your digital identity to now verify content, this was the number one concern of all of these CEOs and CMOs and CDOs. Their concern was, how do we tell if something is true? And so that was why I got the lead keynote was because that linkage point is going to only grow and grow and grow as we see more and more fake content. Um, This morning, I was on a Twitter space. And it was fascinating on the Twitter space, this guy comes on and he starts talking and he had an artificial breaker of his line. So it sounded like he was having problems to connect to us, but he really wasn't. It was an AI generated disruption. And he did that because he was trying to pitch his narrative on, I've got something that can stop this. Now, So you're using fakes to prove that you can stop a fake. I mean, it's going to only get worse and worse and worse as we move forward, for sure. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, How does this go hand in hand with KYC? Um, For for people who may not um, be familiar, KYC, know your customer. For example, today I was trying to buy some Solana uh, and um, because the market crashed and I was like, oh, great opportunity to buy some. So Coinbase didn't let me, it it made me uh, do KYC. Um, Even though up until now, I didn't have to do it. Tried to do it on crypto.com. Same thing happened. KYC must be a new thing from, you know, uh, beginning Uh of 2024, I guess. Binance, same thing. They all said, you know, being in the UK, you need to KYC. So I had to go through a whole bunch of um, bunch of things, and um, and what was interesting was that in addition to the KYC, then it made me take a test to show that I understand blockchain and you know uh, that I understand like the risk and all that stuff. And it's like in a world where I have a .eth domain and you know like that that I've been in this space for so long you know, that I would have to go back and like do all of these things. In theory, it sounds like you're right in that blockchain could really solve the problem of um, verification in AI. But um, how can that work in a in a world where, you know, governments and, and organizations and even going back to LinkedIn, as you mentioned, you know, like all of our um, educational records are not on the blockchain so so what i'm trying to say is that in a world where most of our history is not on the blockchain and so i can see blockchain being useful for new things as you build a reputation on the blockchain for example the degen score and things like that right so to build a reputation on the on the blockchain moving forward but how do you see we will be able to reconcile a long history of being off-chain with a world that lives on-chain? Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be a personal choice, right? Because this is not a government-mandated ID. This is a personal ID. In fact, I don't have to share anything that I don't want to share 
that lives on the chain. I can hide it. I don't have to share it. I have to be enticed to share it. And so I think as we go forward, there have to be mechanisms put in place to where you are willing to share that data because there's a reward or value for you as a person, not just for a company or an entity. Um, so for example, um, you know, we've had customers who sell tickets to concerts. And so I might have a digital concert ticket. I might be asked to share that, that I went to that concert because it means some correlation from my marketing, but I have to get something for sharing that data. I think the same will come true for history. I mean, if you want to put history on your digital identity, I think it has to be of benefit to the person, again, not to a company and not to an entity. So let's go back to your question of KYC. So I will say originally for each of our digital identities, we offered a choice of you can KYC it. You can choose to say you are a human essentially, and that you have been credentialed in this way. Most of our users chose not to do that. They didn't want to be KYC. Um, and because we are the digital identity platform, unless there's an incentive for them to KYC, i.e. you can't do the transaction without being KYC, or you can't get access to this certain thing without being KYC, um, we've seen people do that. So for example, for blockchain, we partnered with blockchain.com and they gave out, you know, sandy.blockchain and somi.blockchain. They did that only for people who would KYC. And so I think there has to be that reward system. Again, it's not forced or mandated. It's an individual choice in, in this ethos of what we are, what we have coming up in the next generation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When I think about the obstacles that are ahead of us in blockchain becoming more, you know, user-friendly and more ubiquitous. I can never say that word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so for that to happen, there are three big problems. One is that it's super complicated. And I think that's where Unstoppable Domains is doing a great job of making it a lot easier. We can talk a little bit about that. Then there is the regulation. You know, we can see that uh, there are all these problems with the regulation, people not being sure. You know, it, it's like they make it softer, then they make it harder. It's like just we don't know where we stand. And then um, it's speculation. So because of the, the um, financialized, um, you know, aspect of uh, these technologies, it seems like it's um, just people like to speculate on it. So in a world with those three obstacles, which of these do you think we are going to tackle first? In, and, and how do you think these are going to impact blockchain becoming more utilized? So I think right now we're all using blockchain at most of our banks and we don't know it. Why? Because it's just doing its job, right? A lot of the shipping and manufacturing is done with blockchain because it creates a great ledger. We don't know it because we talk about the efficiency and the effectiveness of what's happening. I think that's really what has to happen for this ubiquity. Um, so like loyalty programs, you know, Nike and Starbucks are doing these loyalty programs where you don't know and you don't care that it's driven by blockchain. But for the company, the technology is valuable because it makes it more efficient, cost efficient, 
and effective, and you can identify who the actual purchaser is, right? Um, we get a lot of people coming to us for loyalty because they do these like passports, which are paper books. And, you know, when you stamp it, first of all, you could lose it. But secondly, I could go in and use it and then pass it to you. Um, and then someone else could pass it to someone else. So there's just no consistency or trustworthy witness, right? Veritability with it. And so I think that to me is the number one thing we have to work on with blockchain. Um, it's just like AI, Sunny. I worked on AI in 2013. People look at me like, no, you didn't. Like Gen AI just came out. It's not about Gen AI just coming out. AI has been around for a long time, but now there's an application that is easy enough for everybody to use and everybody gets value. And therefore now everybody's using large learning models, right? And I think the same thing needs to happen here. It's that, you know, maybe we all have a check mark beside content that we approve. We, maybe we don't know that that's blockchain. Who cares? But it's verified that that was my picture. That was the Pope's picture. That was Tom Hanks. Um, and maybe that's the way we get to ubiquity is through something that's needed. And maybe we don't even talk about the tech. Like I, I'm a geek girl, so I love to talk about the tech. But in reality, when something really becomes ubiquitous, the tech goes behind the scenes and you're just talking about the value that it brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that the biggest thing here is uh, that ease of application and an actual use case. So um, I remember when I first discovered blockchain, the thing that was really super interesting for me and I thought this is where the, the utility is, was in changing behavior, you know, in being able to create incentive systems that would change behavior. And it all sounded great at the time until I got into it. And then I discovered that because of the freedom that it gives you to create tokens, it also then uh, creates this aspect of, um, you know, speculation. Because obviously when, when people um, are able to create value out of thin air, then they can just go crazy with it, right? And 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 that's why I guess Bitcoin is so powerful because it's got that regimented way of um, you know releasing the the tokens and and the total amount, and um, it's it's one of the best systems. But then we went and discovered these NFTs, and you could create. 10,000 of them and then, you know, uh, God knows how many more are going to be created in the next bull market. So, um, so, so what are your thoughts on the speculative aspect of what blockchain uh, unleashes? So let's talk a little bit more about the speculation. What's the good? What's the bad? What's the ugly? Yeah, you know, I think one of the bad things is that people view blockchain equals crypto. And blockchain does not equal crypto. Blockchain is the technology which enables crypto to be um, created. And so it is one use case for blockchain. There are so many other uses of blockchain. And in fact, I think that one use case has really degraded the value and the power of blockchain because of the speculation. And so I think that part of all of our job is to really ensure that people know there are all these other use cases. There's ledger-based systems, there's financial systems, there are, you know, there's so many other use cases 
that can drive blockchain. And people are using it today. Um, I just went out this weekend, Somi, because my daughters were looking at, you know, they're doing tech in college. One of them's in college, one of them's in high school. And they're looking at careers, right? And they're like, mom, you talk about the blockchain, but I don't see jobs. So we went out and we did a search. Um, almost every Fortune 500 company had 10 or more roles listed for blockchain programmers, blockchain use case designers, blockchain. I mean, blockchain was everywhere, but they just aren't talking about it, about those use cases. So I think that's one. I think because you can speculate with crypto on top of blockchain, I think it's created a blocker for blockchain <laughs> because of that. Um, and I think until we get some regulation out there, that that will continue to happen and to occur. Um, you know, it's almost like what happened with Web2 domains. You know, it was kind of the wild, wild west until ICANN stepped in, had a set of rules and regulations that everybody followed. And now it's, you know, like a normal industry. I think we need that to happen here. You know, even yesterday with, um, you know, 8300, the IRS ruling just came into effect yesterday in the U.S., it was actually passed in 2021. It just came into effect, but it's still not specific enough to provide real and true guidance. So I do believe that, um, you know, regulations and rules and guidelines, guard rails is going to help the space tremendously against the speculation. Because when you leave a gray area, that's when you've got speculation that occurs pretty strongly. It is one of the big topics that's coming up at Davos too, by the way. I was looking at all the agendas and it's one of the big topics. So is that the regulation of blockchain you mean? It's regulations overall, regulations for artificial intelligence, right? I mean, here in the US, we have this case right now of open AI versus the New York Times, where the New York Times is saying, look, you scraped all my content and you're using it. I created that. That's my content and you're using it. So how do I get paid for it, right? It's almost like the Spotify versus Napster, right? Where Napster just went out and grabbed it and was using it for their own, whereas Spotify pays the creator. Uh, I think we're going to see some sort of regulations like that. Um, and so we're, we, we, we need more clarity in regulations before this whole speculation area um, can really be put to bed. That's what I think. But even look at even look at finance today. You know, I was looking at um, fines that big banks pay for fraud and other things, not not using crypto. And those those fines are larger than what's happening in crypto. People just don't talk about it anymore uh, because there are rules and regulations that need to come about. Yeah, definitely. You know, it it makes me think that. When you think about it, once um, blockchain becomes used by everybody, we are going to see new new cases of similar to what you just said with OpenAI and uh, New York Times. Because, for example, if imagine Starbucks works very hard and creates this blockchain-based reward system for their customers, and then all of those go on this public ledger. And let's say um, somebody else, another cafe brand, uh, you know, comes in and 
easily goes on the blockchain and then looks at all of these people who have got those wallets so can identify them very easily. It's kind of like, you know, right now, if you want to build a brand that is um, similar to another brand, you could go on Twitter and you have to pay a fee to Twitter or, or to Facebook and say, uh, you know, uh, advertise this to the lookalike um, you know, audiences of this person or this brand, right? But with blockchain, it takes it to a whole new level. You can identify the wallets and you can target those wallets directly. So imagine that's like the case of New York Times versus OpenAI on a steroid. It's like literally directly you're going to be able to t target them. And uh, I wonder what are your thoughts on you know, how far are we from those? How far is regulation to even catch up with, with these cases? I mean, we saw that happening with OpenSea and Blur and, you know, a lot of the other brands. We even have a word for it, the vampire attack, right, in Web3. Yeah, you know, I don't know how long it's going to be before regulation catches up. And I do think, you know, I think that there are regions outside the U.S. that may be further ahead. So you and I had been discussing the Middle East before this call. I mean, I do think the Middle East has really taken the time to truly understand what's going on, look at the implications, put some guidelines around what they believe are the right things. Japan's the same way. Um, you know, there are different areas that are taking, I would say, that are leadership in the space, right? Even Europe has set out a set of regulations. And so I don't know how long it's going to take for the world to do that. Because, you know, if you think about what we're dealing with here with AI, with blockchain, et cetera, those are global things. So for me, it's really hard to regulate at a country level when you've got a global perspective that's occurring. And um, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that that needed that global perspective before, right? Um, I think with all these new technologies, they're moving so fast. I talk about in my book, you know, one of the, one of the stories I used to read my daughters was Alice in Wonderland. And there's a quote in there um, where Alice says, I have to run twice as fast to stay in place and 10 times as fast to get anywhere. And I feel like that's where we are right now, right? Everything's moving so fast and so quick. I don't know if we're going to catch up. We've never seen this before. There isn't a playbook. Like I can't go online and look up, okay, here's a playbook for what I can do. We're creating the playbooks as we go. And I think that's why governments are having problems keeping up too, right? This isn't their main gig. They've got lots of things to look at. And this is one of the things that will impact society. Yeah, 100%. I remember talking about this many years ago in uh, you know before, before i wrote a book on on ai in 2019 um and ai and, and the future of work and basically i always used to say that there's no previous paradigm we don't have a previous paradigm we there's no we can't look at you know uh the history to see how something like this has been dealt with and and i think the magnitude of that is becoming clearer with things like open ai and I, I just, I wonder how long it will be before we have a, an open AI kind of moment for the blockchain industry. But I think it, it's, it's going to come. And I think that when it comes, it's going to be chaos and, and difficult to, to figure it out. And because we are 
so um, unprepared, like that the society is so unprepared for it. I wanted to talk to you a little, a little bit about in, in our remaining few minutes um, about the Web3 startup landscape. So we now have an ecosystem of about 600 VCs in our network and about 3,500 startups. So when we uh, survey our startups and, and our VCs, about 300 VCs have already filled out our survey and about 1,000 startups have filled out the survey. What we are seeing is that almost three out of each five startup um, is building in Web3, something to do with blockchain Web3. It's oh. so popular. It's wow! My God, it's so popular hmm. with with uh, with founders, and they are all looking for fundraising. But when we look at the VCs, VCs. Um, it's more like two out of ten, maybe even less, like one and a half to two out of ten. But when we look at the number of VCs that say, for example, that they are investing, I mean, obviously AI is now everybody's investing in AI, so I don't, just don't even count that anymore because it's literally everybody um but after that for example climate tech so many climate tech vcs oh my god like it's like if i put in the word climate in in, in our um, little we have got our portal so many more comes up than web3 so there are more people who want to build something in web3 um and there are more people more vcs and that want to that don't want to invest in web3 but they want to invest in climate tech um, so this discrepancy is a little bit concerning for me because it seems like there's just so much talent in, is, uh, that is trying to build in this space. People are super excited about it. And, and rightly so, because it's, it is a very exciting space. Um, but um, there's not as much investment going into it. Um, and even where there is investment, most of the time people are investing in the tokens rather than in the infrastructure in, in that, that, that needs to go into building those technologies. So that's another thing that concerns me. So I was wondering, what's your observation around this? Do you have a similar kind of uh, experience? And what are some of the Web3 startups that you see are doing really well in terms of what categories are, are working. So digital identity being one of them, that's something that you guys are working on. But what other areas? Well, it's so funny because I was just with a round table. We get together um, and in that round table, the, basically the same conclusion without the thousands and thousands of data. But one of the conclusions we reached was that VCs now are jumping from new trend to new trend to new trend. And so Web3 was super hot. You know, crypto was really high. All the investment was going there. And then, oops, you know, now it's AI. Now all the investment's going there. They're claiming that they're going to have so many AI startup failures because almost everything is being invested in, almost like Web3 land was before. And now, oops, now are we moving into quantum? So is this going to keep happening? Do we need to relook? at the VC model overall. And of course, that's going to take the VCs doing that because they're the ones investing the money. And maybe what, what needs to happen are the VCs that stick with it, that find something that they think is powerful and they stick with it throughout the, you know, the shiny object syndrome. Maybe it's going to take something like that to show other VCs how to 
how to really invest in the right areas. So I think we're reaching the same conclusions, which, you know, today I had another person reach out to me. They're doing fabulous things. They've got so many users and they can't get funding. Um, in fact, one of the VCs said, go put AI in your title, like throw AI in somewhere and you're going to get the funding. But if all you talk about is Web3 and blockchain, you'll never get the funding. And that's really not the right way to do it either, right? Is just to fudge, you know, AI or to stick AI in where AI isn't really needed. That was something that I noticed maybe nine months ago, but now people have caught on to that and they're, they're realizing that, that that strategy doesn't work anymore. You know, like like nine months ago, a year ago, yes, I would have said you add the word AI in, put the word generative in there. You know, you would probably get some kind of funding. But um, but now, I think the AI landscape, like you say, people are moving on to the next trend already. So so even that is not working that well. But yes, please. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. No, oh. I agree. I agree with you. So um. I just heard that yesterday, though. A VC just told one of the one of my partners that yesterday, which is That's funny. still happening. But yeah, and it's crazy. Like you need to assess opportunity based on what you're seeing, not based on does it have the buzzwords in it. Um, in the Web three space, you know, we're still seeing a lot of wallets do well. Um, I know there's like, you know, you were telling me that uh, G Money just said, oh, I had installed six wallets. There was just a report of the top 55 wallets. I mean, I think there's so many of them out there, but I think everybody's trying to break into what is the right ease of use. I think that's what everybody's trying to do. And I think there is a search with some VCs for finding a wallet that's easy to use. Um, I'm also seeing investments in loyalty. Um, so there have been a couple of recent LinkedIn articles that went viral on loyalty and how it's done better with Web3. Um, so I am seeing some of the Web3 loyalty programs really step up and really um, being catapulted ahead based on, you know, what they're doing and what they're looking at. So I do think that that's kind of interesting too, that loyalty play. And then the third area is this blended AI Web3 area. Um, like those verifications, for example, how do you verify an image? How do you verify a purse? Um, a friend of mine, Kathy Hackle, now has a bracelet and the bracelet has in it an NFC chip that has an NFT on it. So you can verify that that really is her bracelet, for example. So I think that verification with AI is going to be a third area of investment too. Okay, interesting. So for um, maybe for startups listening to this, these are some of the things that you're seeing that's doing well. Um, I'm getting a lot of interest also in gaming. Uh, I think that's going to be big as well, you know, with with the whole um, the, the, the metaverse thing, you know, that that was very hot a couple of years ago, but I think it's going to make a comeback. Um, so so that's that's big, too. OK, well. This has been super, uh, super interesting. It's always great talking to you, Sandy. Are there any final words you want to leave people with? Um, is there anything that is like right now very hot on your mind that, that you want to share with people? And then tell them where to get your book um, and where to follow you and all that stuff. Well, I'll start first with the book then. So um, the book is available on Amazon and also Barnes and & Noble and all 
great places that books are sold. Um, I would really appreciate you guys buying the book. There aren't that many, this is still shocking today, Sami. There aren't that many female authors of books around Web3 or AI or the metaverse. And so a lot of times publishers are reluctant to sign a female author because there just haven't been that many books that have been successful. So I would really appreciate um, you going out and buying the book and writing your review. That would be amazing. I'm doing that today, 100%. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and order it now. And Thank I you. recommend everybody do the same. And then people can follow you on Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Sandy underscore Carter or on LinkedIn. It's just Sandy Carter or on Instagram. It's Sandy underscore Carter founder. Um, so what didn't I really get a chance to talk about that I think would be really um, important? The big thing to me is that I think, you know, and I love technology. So I spend a lot of time talking about the tech. But I think an even greater need is emerging, which is leadership and culture in the new age that we're in with us moving so fast, changing so quickly, you know, new tools coming in that might replace certain parts of jobs, people being afraid of that. I don't think we spend enough time on those topics, which are softer, but equally as important. So if we had another hour, that's what I would focus in on for sure. Hopefully next time next yeah. time definitely thank you so much sandy that was really interesting and always great talking to you you're always on the cutting edge of everything and um, i look forward to having you again soon thank you me too thank you my friend i'll talk soon i hope you enjoyed this conversation with sandy carter be sure to follow her on linkedin and twitter and order her latest book the tiger and the rabbit harnessing the power of the metaverse, Web3 and AI for business success. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others that you think might find it interesting.